Hungry homies, this week's House of Carbs is brought to you by our good friends at Google Assistant. With the Google Assistant, you can complete over 1 million actions on your phone, in your car, and or around the house. When I am on the go, I love using that Google Assistant to find what's nearby. Like for instance, I am starving for some fried chicken. I can say to it, hey Google, find me some fried chicken. My friends, download the Google Assistant today. Taste Buds today's show also brought to you by our good pals at Hanes Underwear. Hanes is America's number one brand of underwear. And God bless them, they just made them more comfortable. The Comfort Flex Fit Underwear is the latest innovation in comfort from Hanes. Comfort Flex Fit is cool, comfortable, and supportive. It's so comfortable, you'll forget you are wearing these underwear. I can tell you I wore the Comfort Flex Fit all week long down in Augusta, Georgia for a lot of walking around that golf course. There are a lot of hills. So comfortable, I forgot I had them on. You will want to replace all the underwear in your underwear drawer after you try these. Hanes really knows how to make underwear, my friends, and it won't break the bank. This is what I love. You can get a pack of three for 15 bucks, and that is less than half of what you pay for a single pair of those crazy expensive designer joints. You don't need that. Give Hanes a try. They're at Hanes.com or wherever you might may buy your Hanes. Culinary comrades, before we get into today's show... A couple things going on at the ringer, as always. This week, right now, Kevin O'Connor is treating us to a uh, a look at the Pacers' blueprint for upsetting LeBron. I don't. I'm I'm going to read that. I don't want to upset LeBron though. I like LeBron in the finals every year. But God bless the Pacers. Also, you got to check out the Ringer merch: hoodies, tees, hats, including. The infamous, now famous and infamous, blog boy shirt that the homie Steph Curry had on during game one. Nice uh, rep of the Ringer brand. I, my own self, am, am wearing the green hats all over the place. I don't love the fact that it's Celtic green, but they are very stylish and I get a lot of compliments. Check it out. Ringer.com slash shop. Buds, my culinary comrades, my hungry homies, welcome to another edition of House of Carbs, the food podcast for the hungry people, by the hungry people, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. My hungry homies, this is Joe House. I am your hungry host. Today's episode, we are taking a look at the worst to first. Last week's show, we had the Podfather on. We did a ranking of the NBA playoff cities, and we ranked them with our bellies. We went through from 16 to 1, all of the teams competing in the 2018 NBA playoffs, and we ranked the cities uh, in, 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 the, in order of 
most delectable to least. Based on our own experiences, this worst to first episode, we are leading off with Craig Gaines, who's going to tell us about food in Cleveland, because Cleveland, by Bill Simmons' estimation, was the worst food town. We've heard a lot of, of great tales from the land of places to go eat. We're talking to the chief who has a lot of Cleveland under his belt. We also have on the show Danny Chow. We promised him last week we were not able to get to him because the podfather likes to go long. Danny Chow on the ground. He is our man around town uh, with a fork. We talk about Portland. We talk about New Orleans. We talk about a bunch of cities that he has uh, experienced and has opinions on, and he gave us a little input on whether the ranking is right. And of course, this week we have the food news with Juliet. Now, my hungry homies, let's get in that belly with the chief, Craig Gaines. All right, Taste Buds, as promised, we have our old pal, the Chief. Copy Chief for the Ringer. Craig Gaines is in the house. He knows the task that's in front of him. This is the worst to first, and he's going to defend the land. Yo, Chief, what's happening? Hey, Joe, how's it going? Always um, a good time. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for, for taking on this sizable task. I know that you uh, got a chance to listen to last week's ranking of yeah. NBA cities. The Midwest did not fare very well. Yeah, I I, I have some some biased quibbles, but we'll. Uh, uh, Cleveland is very used to being uh, underestimated, and while I can't say that I'm a native son, I did live there for a couple of years, and it was a very formative experience for me. So I am I am up to the task at hand. Yeah, we know that that uh, your your palate is very well developed. You were a lead indicator in getting me to the Apple Pen out there in Los Angeles. So your yeah. credentials are 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 well established. Great. And you, for the hungry homies out there, you lived in Cleveland before you moved to L.A. It was the last place you lived before you moved to Los Angeles. That's right. To take on this this uh, this great writing gig. So uh, let's just do a quick sort of landscape of the land, yeah. um, and and we'll do it sort of uh, in in two parts. In the first place, your experience, but then also kind of what's developed yeah. over time, because Cleveland, like um, all these cities that are covered in our rankings list, have undergone some pretty sizable changes in terms of diversity of cuisine and you know sophistication of palate and all the rest of it. Definitely. But let, let's just set it up. Let's see, let's hear your take on the lay of. The land. Yeah, yeah. So Cleveland was, that was really the place where I sort of like as a grown up fell in love with food. I I graduated college. I bopped around for a little bit and then I ended up in Cleveland. And it was sort of that time in your life when you're like, okay, maybe there's something else to eat in the world other than pizza. And I happened to have those experiences in Cleveland. And the first thing that I think of when I think of Cleveland food, I, I think of honestly the first great restaurant meal that that I think that I might have really ever had. Uh, you know, I was I was I was like it was just starting to become sophisticated enough to realize what good food was. And there was a night, it was in the middle of the winter, 
It was extremely cold. There was an ice storm. I'll never forget driving to this restaurant. Uh, traffic lights were just out everywhere. It was apocalyptic outside. And we were driving to the west side neighborhood of Tremont, and we were okay. driving to a restaurant called Lola. The chef of Lola was a guy named Michael Simon, who was just becoming a great big uh, Food Network star, which is what he is today. And Lola was his first restaurant in Cleveland. And we sat down and we went on to have just an amazing meal. And what he was doing there at the time was something that Cleveland and a lot of other Midwestern cities really excel at, which is taking um, comfort food and really elevating it. You know, I mean, the, 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 the great thing about good chefs is that they, they can take any kind of, any kind of cuisine uh, no matter how how humble and and you know the really good ones can see sort of like into the I can't believe I'm about to say this to you but into the soul of the food and oh, really boy. sort of really sort of elevate it and you know we weren't we were not having like anything that night that was like you know some like super advanced gastronomic you know experiment or something but what we were having was midwestern food really done at a level of skill that we had never. We had never really had before. And this is a meal that my friends and I, who were there that night, we still talk about this meal to to this day. It's sort of like that was the meal that really got us really like loving loving food. And um, Michael Simon has now gone on to build quite an empire in Cleveland. Kind of a sad story about that restaurant. Um, he moved Lola downtown to Cleveland, and he had a new concept in that space in the Tremont neighborhood. And a few years ago, it burned down. And oh. he still owns the property, but you know, I mean, it's been quite, quite a uh, um, like a journey back uh, for him. So whenever that um, opens opens back up again, um, it's going to be like a really, a really great thing for Cleveland. So that yeah, starts. Yeah, he he could name it Phoenix. You know, rising from the ashes. Whoa. That's terrible, I'm, Michael I mean, Simon. If you're you know. listening, you uh, <laughs> you owe oh Joe House uh, something there. Well, we'd um, love to have Michael Simon on. I mean, this is the thing. Let's. Uh, so time frame wise, that's kind of mid 2000s, your experience at Lola, Michael Simon's first. And and if you fast forward to where we are now, Michael Simon is a mega super duper star, yeah. 800,000 Twitter yeah. followers on that ABC, ABC show, right. The Chew, yeah. a Food Network stalwart, and with at least uh, four restaurants in Cleveland. Is a that lot. right? Yeah. Yeah. A lot. Yeah, Let's yeah. just he's, say a lot. Yeah. And, he, and he's kind of like really got the whole Midwest on lockdown too. He has some stuff in Detroit. He has some stuff in Pittsburgh, which doing, doing business in Pittsburgh, if you're in Cleveland, that's a very tricky thing to do. And if he's been able to pull it off and not, you know, not gotten the boot from Cleveland, those two cities do not like uh, each other at all. But if he's able well, to pull it off, then then all, all, all the more respect to him. I wanted to, um, st I'm glad you started with him because one of the restaurants that was mentioned to us repeatedly from the, from the folks from the land who wanted to to tell us how how uh, wrong the take was <laughs> and how unfair the 16 slot was, uh -huh. was this new uh, barbecue place that uh, Michael Simon's delivering called Mabel's yeah. Barbecue. Yeah. And, you know, I I have my my skepticisms. I mean, it is the case now that barbecue, you know, there, there, there are aficionados all over the place. Yeah. You know, Brooklyn has its thing and, and, you know, it's gone from the south and it's climbing up the 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 coasts uh, and 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 so it's not that surprising that the, somebody would take try their hand at yeah. it. 
in yeah. Cleveland, but you tell us a little bit about what your understanding of what's going on at Mabel's. Yeah, I haven't been, but um, uh, a good buddy of mine back in Cleveland, Jim Vickers, he's the editor of uh, Ohio Magazine these days, former coworker oh. of mine, he, he talked to me about Mabel's. And one of the things that really stuck out to me is that uh, he... Michael Simon has a sauce there that he makes with something called um, Bertman's Ballpark Mustard. Now, quick, oh. quick aside, if you're a Clevelander, brown ballpark mustard is something that is extremely important to you. There, there are two that you can that you can pick from. There's, um, there's Bertman's, which he uses, and there's something called Stadium Mustard. Um, you can buy them in grocery stores. Everyone in Cleveland has at least one bottle. I don't know if it's a thing where you can't have both bottles in the home, but people definitely uh, in bars late at night get into long discussions about which is better. And they're both really good. Like a little spicy, a little sweet brown mustard goes great on a hot dog. And um, if he's taking that and making a barbecue sauce with it, that's um, that's about as cl- that's about as Cleveland as you can get. And it's a, I think it's a really cool way to sort of like, like you say, barbecue is, is, you know, it's kind of rooted in these specific regions, but it's really gone all over the place in the country. That's a really cool way to kind of make it Cleveland's own thing. So, um, you know, like I said, I, I haven't. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, uh, do you know, I don't mean to put you on the spot. Do you know the backstory as to is it is it just a preference thing? Um, why, why is spicy brown mustard in Cleveland? I mean, I love spicy brown mustard, but why why is that like the ballpark thing in Cleveland? I, sh- I should have done more research on that. No, I don't. yeah, I'm not, I, 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 it's okay. I, but I, I mean, what I, I I'm pretty sure that it, um, you know, what, y- you can definitely find it at every Indians game. And Cleveland is a city that um, I don't know if I've ever been in a city that takes sports more seriously than Cleveland. To I mean, honestly, to, to everyone's maybe like you know, like emotional detriment. Browns fans are unwell people. I've seen them uh, <laughs> suffer up close for a couple of years. I always used to say that um, uh, on Mondays in the fall, if you didn't know what had happened during the game, just go to work and see what everyone's mood was. And then you knew whether the Browns won or lost because, I mean, it's just it's citywide. So I think that the reason that people care about it so much is because it's a food thing and it's something that's rooted in the sports culture of Cleveland, which is um, which is extremely, extremely important there. Okay. Yeah. It makes it it makes a ton of sense. Now, uh we've done we sung all of Michael Simon's praises yeah. and we we've just gone ahead and, and uh introduced all the hungry homies to Mabel's barbecue. Right. What else are you hearing is happening on the ground there in the land? I mean, we're trying to make a list. Right. Because, you know, uh, Cleveland has as good a shot as anybody as we sit here right now, April the eighteenth of uh, advancing to the finals for another year. They still have LeBron, and right. I'm knocking on – I don't want to knock on wood. It's going to mess up my my recorder. Right, right. But I'm knocking on wood, and, and you know, he stays healthy. So Cleveland is, is a, right there as a contender. If Bill Simmons and I end up in Cleveland, we're, we're going to visit Mabel's Barbecue. Yeah. Where else might we be going? You know, there's – I would say there's a mixture of classics and new places. Um the uh, Cleveland, like other big, you know, industrial cities in the Midwest, they really care about their their heritage a lot. So if there's a place that stuck around for a while, it's um, it's because it's good and it's because the place really cares about it. So um, there's a place that you'll hear. I bet people tweeted this at you a lot. There's a place called Slimans. It's a it's a deli and they serve incredible corned beef. 
Um, oh. Definitely have oh, to put yes, that. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. That definitely made it on the list that on the list. Sure. It is yeah. 100% um, legit. You know, it's one of those, the sandwich is, is as big as your head and um, the corned beef like is, is great. That was actually just across the street from my office when I was working in Cleveland. So I definitely packed that on um, quite a bit. Um, one of the first... Um, this was way before every single city in the world had 18 different, you know, um, brew pubs uh, in their in their you know city cores. There's a place uh, on the near west side in Cleveland called uh, Great Lakes Bre- Great Lakes Brewing, and okay. I would go there a lot when I lived there. Um, the beer and the bar food were fantastic then, and what I'm hearing is that it's it's you know it's just as good uh, now, and it's it's cool because so many of these places are just now you know, just a few years old and Great Lakes has been right. doing it for a really long time. So, um, and the, when I was there, the interior space was really, it was a really great place to hang out. So I would definitely, I would definitely recommend that. Um, I don't have a specific restaurant in mind for this, but Cleveland is a place where there is a big, um, Eastern and Central European population um, in okay, the early 20th sure. century, like a lot of like um, uh, uh, Hungarians and Czechs and things like that moved to so, moved to Cleveland, and uh-huh. that's where I discovered uh, I discovered this dish, chicken paprikash. I don't know if you ever yes. had. Oh, oh I, I, I absolutely love it. I, there isn't enough paprikash in my life. Yeah, believe yeah. me. And you know, it's one of those dishes where like it's cold outside. You want to go. You want to have some chicken. You want to have some noodles. You want to have some some sauce. It's it's really really good. And so there um, there are some great restaurants on the east side that that still do that. Pierogies are another thing that you can get all over the place. It's in this same same vein, this sort of like Central Eastern European thing. So if there's a place that says it has good pierogies, it probably means that because it's sort of like saying like in LA you have good tacos. You'd better mean it if you say it. So there's there's going to be some good. Um, some good pierogi spots too. Uh, another place to visit. This isn't a restaurant, but it's honestly just like it's a really fun place to visit. I people might have tweeted you uh, about this as well. It's called the West Side Market. It's in the Ohio City um, neighborhood in Cleveland, and it's one of the coolest combinations of food and architecture um, you'll ever see. It's this enormous structure takes up a whole city block. And uh, on the inside of the structure, it's just butchers, cheesemongers, fishmongers. You have some food stalls. You have like a spice place. And, you know, th- th- these these places, have um, they've all been there for decades. They've been there uh, forever. People have been going, you know, you have like you have like a like a bread maker. It's one of these places where like before everyone was going to the grocery store, they would go to the market. And so they have all of that good stuff on the inside. And then there's this huge on the outside, just this endless row of uh, fruits, vegetables, things like that. Gets a little tough to do in the winter, but during the the, the, the spring and summer, it's really popping. It's just on the weekends, it's 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 a really it's a really great scene. So I would really well, I, recommend I, that. I, I love that. And we have uh, here on House of Carbs been fortunate enough to experience um the 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 kind of vibe that you're describing there. We we visited the Grand Central Market in downtown Los Angeles. You know, kind of an iconic place that mm-hmm. I think fits in 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 a yes. in a general way what you're describing. It's and similar. then I, I yeah I joined Chris Ryan uh, in Philadelphia at the Reading Terminal Market, which is another historical iconic 
kind of place um, where, you know, to this day, it's it's always bumping and, yep. and the variety of, of options and, and, and again, authentic uh, experience, both palate, cuisine, and, you know, in terms of what's available locally, yeah. it really delivers that local flavor. So you you have just laid out in front of us, I mean, the, uh, the, we're, we're guaranteed two games in Cleveland if Cleveland makes the finals. Yeah. And it's and we and you just gave us essentially like four nights of of uh, of eating. Yep. So it looks like all of the time that that we might not sp- uh, spend inside the the basketball gymnasium there, yeah. we ought to be out and about uh, pursuing a bellyful. Is, is that what you yeah. would recommend? D- d- one hundred percent. It's um, you know. Any big population center that uh, lives in an extremely cold place um, over time becomes very good at being inside and maximizing life on the interior. And so you find just a bunch of places with really good comfort food, Um, like so many more like breweries as well. I mean, like Great Lakes is sort of the OG, but I mean, I'm I'm honestly, I know that I'm like not telling you about probably like a good dozen that have also popped up. There's a neighborhood, um, there's a a town just to the west of Cleveland, just on the border called Lakewood, which um, I can never remember, but they used to say like, it was like the most bars per capita of any city in the the United States. So you can just like, if you want to go on a, on a, on a proper pub crawl, just like, just hit Lakewood, and you'll 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 never run out of places to go. It, that sounds dangerous. Now, before <laughs> I let you go, we we uh, Bill Simmons and I had Cleveland slotted in at the sixteen hole. Mm, mm-hmm. You've you've seen the list. You know the mm-hmm. NBA playoff cities. You mm-hmm. know what what's at stake. Where would you put Cleveland on that list, man? You really put me on the spot. I mean, look, like I'm like I, You're I'm repping the land. Brother. I am. And, you know, like I'm I'm a guy who like I'm always going to be very honest with with you about my biases. You know, like you like right. I root for I sports you. teams because like I grew up with them and, and, and I have a soft spot in my heart for them. But I would I would really comfortably this is going to be controversial, but I would really comfortably put Cleveland in the top five. If top not five. Yeah, Yep, I really would. I really well, would. Who are we be- bumping out? Because I think the top five was Miami, Toronto, Houston, uh, San Francisco slash Oakland. I uh-huh. mean, we have to understand that that the Warriors pl- sure. presently play in Oakland. That's fair. Um, and New Orleans. Who who is going down to six out of that crew? I mean, look, like I'm, uh, I'm going to say I'm honestly going to say Houston, and that's only big out of a position of ignorance. Like I haven't. I haven't uh, been, but I also like the other like cities you named. I can immediately think like, ah, this place has great food in this vein. Houston, I don't know, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Well, we we you we gotta uh, tune you into a couple of the House of Carbs that we've done over the the handful of months. We had a couple of chefs enough. from Houston come on after Hurricane Harvey right, and right, really right. got the lowdown on the Houston food scene. And I think Shea Serrano might have some points of view I'm on sure. this one. Michael Bauman might have some points for you on this. The whole Viet Cajun experience, crawfish, you know, prepared uh, and served in a, in a sort of Vietnamese style is a whole thing unto itself. And everybody uh, swears by it. They, and it's supposed to be a religious experience. So... You're going to get some pushback from folks on on pushing Houston out of that top I'm, five. If it, if it was me, I might I might bump Miami. Yeah, I. But I mean, like, 
If we're basing it on, I mean, th- those are all good points. And honestly, I've never had Viet Cajun food, but it sounds like honestly something I could eat for like a week straight. Um, I believe it to be true. But like, I, I, I hear you about Miami. I have a soft spot in my heart for Miami. I have some family down there, but I guess I'm thinking like, if you're visiting during the NBA playoffs and you want like a night out on the town with some eating and drinking, I mean, Miami does that like to uh, it's uh, pretty good yeah pretty yeah, good, pretty good. Right? yeah yeah <laughs> well, well we i don't mind having cleveland be in a tie with miami for fifth sure Maybe okay that, that, we, that's, we can say that that's that, fair that's the way we could compromise yeah. the chief craig Gaines came on defended the land took it from 16 all the way up <laughs> into the top five that's literally from worst to, to near first very well done as always thank you for joining us and can't wait to have you uh, on again my friend it was a pleasure house we'll, we'll talk soon always can't wait my thanks to the chief as always a very welcome addition to house of carbs before we talk to our hungry homie, Danny Chow. How about a quick word from our pals at SeatGeek? My friends, buying tickets, you know this, can be complicated and confusing, but there's a simpler way to buy, and that is with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event, including, hopefully in 2018, a House of Carbs live podcast, although that'll be free. You can come to that for free. Whether you are catching your favorite musician on tour, shopping for the perfect gift, or searching for a last-minute deal to see your favorite team, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed, and nothing beats being there in person for the biggest plays of the year. SeatGeek gets you closer to the action for a great value. You know I've had that SeatGeek app on my phone. It's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. Baseball season. I'm going down to see the Nats, who are in fourth place in the National League East. But it's early. I can be anywhere with just a few taps. I can instantly find seats. I actually just used the SeatGeek to buy tickets. This is a true story for a pal down in Augusta, Georgia. I don't know if you're allowed to do that or not, but SeatGeek was a big help. and We had a great time down there. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. To get the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek is grading the ticket based on value. So you can choose what you want. The best seats that fit your budget. Every purchase fully guaranteed. So shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Our listeners... The House of Carbs Hungry Homies get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download that SeatGeek app and enter promo code CARBS today. That's promo code C-A-R-B-S for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek is the right seat right now, right from your phone. And now let's get over to my man, Danny Chow. All right, Hungry Homies. Very excited. We are righting a wrong, correcting a mistake. Last week's podcast, as you know, here on House of Carbs, the podfather Bill Simmons came on. We ran down from 16 to 1. We let our bellies lead us. It was a ranking of the NBA food cities in the 2018 NBA playoffs. We wanted very much to have the ringer resident food expert, our man on the ground, the dude who gets down 
and does some real eating with the people. Danny Chow, associate editor at The Ringer. He, we wanted him on last week, but you know once the podfather gets started, there ain't no stopping him. So Danny was gracious enough to come join us today. Yo, Danny Chow, what's happening? You know, it, it's been way too long. I'm so thrilled and honored to be back. This is great. Well, uh I, I know you're 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 uh, also a little bit hungry because you're like me at all times always yes. a little bit hungry and I feel like it's fortuitous that we've caught you at this juncture because since the last time we've convened you've been to two great food cities two of of America's all-time great food cities one which is an OG that's New Orleans that's New Orleans. that's yep. you know uh an all-time classic we don't need to discuss any further and then uh, you know, a, an underrated food city, maybe, you know, 30 years ago, but now properly rated uh, Portland, Oregon, right? Yeah, Portland was great. Uh, I, I'm very happy that you gave me a shout out last week, you know, boosting up this food diary. Uh, unfortunately, with the NBA schedule and with the playoffs in full swing, uh, it's kind of been on the back burner. I'm, I'm, I'm actually still writing it. So hopefully that'll come up sometimes this week, uh, or maybe never. Uh, maybe this is, you know, maybe I'm Dr. Dre and, and this is my detox album. I, I don't know. Well, look, we, whether it gets published or not, I want the diary for my own uh, <laughs> selfish purposes, and then maybe I can I can do a live reading of it here on House of Carbs. We could do, you know, the the possibilities are endless in terms of publication. It ought not to be uh, such a such a labor. Um, now let's start with with the beginning here. Uh, we uh, want you with your uh, food expertise, your 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 travel. Um, kind of uh, background to help sort through in the first place this 16 to 1 ranking. I know you've seen it. Uh, I'm not going to uh, pretend to put you on the spot and, and, and insist that you have uh, you listened to the entirety of the podcast last week. Right. Um, but the ranking, let's, let's start there. Uh, 16 to 1, and I'll go through it real quick. I want, I want to hear your sense of whether or not we got this uh, correct in terms of the order. So Cleveland came in last. Oklahoma City was 15. Indiana, we're talking about Indianapolis, the home of the Pacers. Milwaukee was 13. San Antonio, 12. Utah was 11. Minneapolis, 10. Then Boston, Philadelphia, and D.C., which kind of go together, 9, 8, 7. Uh, Portland, at six, Miami at five. So let's go through the top five. Miami, Toronto, San Francisco, and, and the folks uh, that, that follow the Warriors closely are, are we're, we're very quick to point out that we, we really ought to be talking about Oakland in that position. It's not proper to just re- refer to the Warriors as belonging to San Francisco. Right. And I they're, they're not that. in San Francisco yet. Right. Uh, and then Houston at two and New Orleans at one. So you hear that list, and you've thought about it a little bit, I know, ahead of time. Right. What's your reaction? What do we get right, and what do we get wrong? I mean, there is a point that Bill made early in the podcast saying, you know what? For the most part, there are so many wrong answers and so many right answers, because all of these cities have evolved in the past five years, and all of them have way more to offer than you know what you what YouTube pretty much uh, summed up, because... 
you know, there there's only so much time to there's only so much time to actually go out and and experience all of these um, great food cultures and and emerging and developing food cultures. Um, I'm very thankful to have gotten the opportunity to do it, you know, on occasion, basically whenever I'm off on MB, on MBA assignments. Um, but I I I haven't basically the the Midwest is kind of my blind spot at this point. I'm working on correcting that. Um, so I, I can't really disagree with 16 and 15. Uh, Indiana was interesting at 14 because I, I've heard a lot of good things about Milk Tooth, um, which is a restaurant that has been named one of the best restaurants in the world by Conde Nast, I believe. Um, they're a place that's open from breakfast, brunch, and lunch uh, that takes a very kind of worldly view of local and seasonal Indiana-grown ingredients, which is... You can say it's a trend, but I, I kind of think that's just the way that chefs of this generation operate across the country. Like, there's a lot of pride in being where you are, and there's also a creative impulse to kind of look beyond where you are as well, but kind of fusing those two I- ideas together. Yeah, and and I think, you know, your recent trip to Portland, uh, Portland kind of established, set, they set a bar in terms of that particular phenomena. They were very early movers in what has come to be known as farm to table and locally sourced and, you know, that that whole um, dynamic. Uh, now, I'm interested in this this idea of uh, ingredients sort of native to Indiana. What are we talking about when we're talking about Indianapolis and them doing some local sourcing? Is there, is there a particular fl- palette or flavor profile that's unique to um, that region of these great United States that that milk tooth really features. That, that's the interesting thing. I was looking at the menu and I do this a lot. Like if if I have a restaurant that I have on my, you know, must do list, uh, I'll look at the menu just to get a kind of lay of the land. And there's it's kind of a hodgepodge. You're, you're looking at a lot of like breakfasty stuff like you know porridge and waffles and stuff but you're getting in the waffle you're getting a you know a brown butter sumac uh granola and you're getting you know uh chicken in a tamarind sauce so like it's it's definitely way beyond what you would imagine indian like indianapolis cuisine being but yeah. i'm sure a lot of the ingredients that they're using is just pure and 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 native to the land they're they're able to to go ahead and and produce reproduce faithful renditions because the climate there is sufficient to grow you know spices and and uh herbs and so forth uh and then they take that and and put it directly into their you know versions of these dishes is that the basic sort of idea i i assume so i mean i i can't wait to eventually make my way out there and I, I've actually never been, so I've never been to St. Elmo's either. Uh, I've heard about their nuclear, you know, cocktail sauce. I, I'm as, you're as a be, person who, yeah, you I, know. I, let me just cut you off. You're yeah. uh, you're going to be underwhelmed. It oh, is okay. Well, it, it is. It's it's not. It's nuclear for normal palates. It's it's going to barely raise an eyebrow um, for you, for your palate. I mean, right after the, the, hot the way that thing. you do heat. Yeah. yeah, you you do heat in a way that that normal human beings do not do heat. <laughs> <laughs> now, I will say it, it. I loved it. I mean, I I really uh, enjoyed it. Uh, and I it is a. Um, uh, an eyebrow razor 
in terms of you know the the sheer uh, ratio of horseradish to to um, you know the the uh, cocktail portion of of the sauce, but yeah, you know I don't think for anybody that's really accustomed to heat that it's a it's that crazy, right? And so in in that kind of fourteen to twelve range was where I had a, a, a couple thoughts. Uh, with thirteen at Milwaukee, again I've I've never been, but uh, while I was in Portland, I met up with a dear friend and former mentor uh, Kevin Arnovitz of ESPN. Oh, um, an all-time great. Oh, yeah. And he was actually very excited that, you know, he might have been able to cover the Milwaukee series because he actually loves the food there. He he loves the uh, the frozen custards. And he had named a couple of restaurants that I, I can't recall at this moment. But, yeah, he he has great respect for, for the food in Milwaukee. So that seemed a little low. Um, and... At number 12 was San Antonio, a place Bill said he would never want to go again as long as he lives. Um, That's kind of where he lost me. Uh, I am actually dying to go to San Antonio. Um, There is one restaurant, uh, a Tex-Mex restaurant called Garcia's um, that looks just phenomenal. They do like pork chop tacos and beef brisket tacos, and uh, that looks phenomenal. Um, You guys had kind of mentioned it as a one-note food town being kind of that Tex-Mex thing, but um, the thing that I'm actually dying to go there for is barbecue. Uh, They have two barbecue places that are on my radar. One is 2M, uh, which is actually run by a former pit master at Law Barbecue, your guys' favorite barbecue places in the world. Yeah, only because I haven't been to Franklin. I mean, I, I you know, just to be yeah. fair, I, 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 I love La to, Barbecue to be, to because be fair, I've been there. Those, yeah. those two, those two places are quite comparable in my uh, experience. And so at Two M, um, the pitmaster is of Mexican heritage, and he kind of brings a lot of those flavors into the rub, into the side dishes, and so you're getting basically the the Franklin slash La Barbecue method of of cooking these uh the brisket but you're also getting a different flavor and a different palette and it's it's unique uh the second one is a place called two bros uh whose pit master is ironically a, a woman uh and i've heard outstanding things about their barbecue as well so um i think san antonio yeah, w- can can move up in this list i will say um the folks from san antonio that chimed in and gave us some feedback uh you know told us we're missing out on on a lot of outstanding non-Mexican offering. There's a place that kept getting uh, repeated in the, in the mentions, and that was this place called Cured, I think, C-U-R-E-D, mm-hmm. which is apparently uh, an outstanding charcuterie experience. Um, so that's another uh, non-Mexican direction to go. And there was one Italian place that, that people kept mentioning. I don't remember the name of, but... Um, I'd go back to San Antonio. I've had good experiences there. Um, Bill's there for probably too long and too many <laughs> meals where, you know, he's finished doing the TV gig and they're just stumbling into the steakhouse of, of, uh, easiest, uh, path, the least resistance, you know? Right. It um, kind of reminds me of whenever I'm in Vegas for summer league and summer league is such a slog. It's like a week and a half, two weeks. And, and eventually you run out of enthusiasm for everything. And so you just right. kind of want to get the hell out of there. 
Yeah, that's right. You're not you you can't really go do anything that's adventurous or expansive or, you know, uh palate enriching to be uh, you know, to put it in carbs terms. Um, so I want to make sure that we uh touch on your two most recent experiences. Sure. Uh fresh in your mouth is this trip to to Portland and you are busy trying to translate it from your mouth to your brain to your pen. Yes. Uh, and I don't want to step on any of that, but give us give the hungry homies, you know, just a a, a quick hit on that experience. So, one place that you had mentioned in the last podcast was a Russian drinking food uh restaurant called Kashka. Uh, Kashka yeah. was a, an absolute highlight. It was an incredibly fun place to eat. Uh, so I went for happy hour, and one of the things that you can order at happy hour is this just these dried fish jerky. And it it doesn't sound all that appetizing, but no, it's like it perfect. Not. It's it's perfect with just a crisp lager. It's just like chewy and salty, and it it's it's basically like eating you know beer nuts or or whatever. Like it's it's something that you know is enough. What's to- the fish? Which fish is it? I don't know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Well, I, well, here's the thing. I, I was. You just reminded me. We had um, New York Times international sports correspondent Andrew Kay on yep. uh, earlier, and he was regaling us with some tales of authentic uh, Korean cuisine that he experienced in South Korea during his coverage of the Olympics, and part of his story included. This these white this white fish mm-hmm. uh, that they would dry on a line outside of you know uh, certain restaurants uh, and I can't remember though it was like Pollock or something right. and I was wondering if maybe what you're describing now is kind of a, a, a rendition of of what Andrew um, put I mean into his with story dried dried fish is is pretty common in a lot of cultures especially out in Asian cultures and it's it's a it's an ideal drinking snack just because you're getting a very strong concentration of salts and natural umami flavors from yeah, umami, umami. From the fla- yeah, yes. exactly. So, um, yeah, with Kachka, you're you're doing a lot of drinking. You're doing a lot of these nibble, little nibbly bites. They're known for their infused vodkas, and mm-hmm. the one that particularly blew my mind was a horseradish vodka that I might have had like three shots of. To, to be frank and honest. I might have forgotten about half of my night there. Um, <laughs> it just sounds very dangerous, this place. Right, yeah. And it, it's it's a good time had by all. And you can go there and have, you know, Russian dumplings, pelmeni. You can have cabbage rolls stuffed with beef, pork, and lamb uh, in, you know, sweet and sour tomato sauce. Uh, but my, my favorite thing uh, that I ate there was actually dessert. And I'm not a dessert person at all. But they mm. do these... Um, these dumplings with sour cherry filling uh, and the sour cherries are native to the Portland area. And so it, it was kind of like this cool little collaboration between using a very um, Eastern European format and infusing it with, you know, a Portland vibe. I love it. Extremely I love it. Extremely good. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I want to go down this path with you on a separate occasion. I need you to come out to Washington, D.C. because the the food scene here has really blossomed in like the last decade. But one of the the areas that's especially intriguing to me, and I had this experience my own self, Georgian food. You know, the country Georgia, uh, not not you know not Southern Seoul, but you know the Silk Road, the the, right. the former Soviet Union Georgia, um, which is uh, I've come to understand. Hometown. 
Oh, I had exactly. Yeah. Zaza has been to this restaurant yep. here in DC. He came through when when it's it's called Supra. Um, but you mentioning your experience at Kachka and that Russian uh, menu that that you enjoyed. There is also a Russian restaurant here in DC. I want to explore that whole sort of um, that 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 palette with you. But I want to make sure that we have time, and we're going to do that in a separate uh, show. I want to make sure we have time to hear New Orleans. So give us give us your your top spot in in New Orleans. With New Orleans, it was a different kind of trip for me. Uh, I was technically right. on vacation, and I kind of felt guilty uh, about leaving in the middle of the NBA season. So I decided to whip up this food diary, which was very well received, and I I'm very appreciative for everyone who read it. Um, but it, it, there were a lot of places that I couldn't go because. I was trying to bring in, you know, six family members and there was a small child with us. So, um, but my favorite places uh, are two, actually. One, Willie Mae's Scotch House, just absolutely one of the best fried chicken places I've ever had in my life. Uh, yeah, world renowned, right? Phenomenal, yes. And there, there's, there's Willie just a beautiful, beautiful story behind it and um, how they've recovered after Katrina and... You know, it's it's recognized as a James Beard, you know, classic. Um, the other one is Harbor Seafood out in Kenner, which is right by the airport. Um, I've never heard of this. Yeah, it's it's a phenomenal seafood place. That's where we went and we ordered 12 pounds of crawfish um, <sighs> it, between like, I don't know, like five people. I, I We just housed a bunch of crawfish. Uh, it was early in the season when we went, but the... It was the best crawfish I've ever had. Like it was just a pure seafood experience, uh, one that I I'm not gonna forget at and any ha- point. How was it prepared? Just bo- boiled and yeah, with butter? Bo- yeah, boiled in in you know the the Cajun seasoning. Uh, yep. It was actually quite spicy for what I'm used to. Um, mm-hmm. And we we also had the whole Viet Cajun uh, stuff that you guys were talking about with Houston, right? Um, and Houston and New Orleans obviously have a lot of similarities and a lot of crossover because they're both bayou cities and they're both um right and you know there was the, the massive um migration after Katrina so there's Indeed. a lot of cultural exchange there um yes uh, one of the big differences is it, with Viet Cajun there's a lot more uh butter going on um and so you get a lot of that flavor that's sealed into that butter but mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. with yes. the uh with the New Orleans kind of more Cajun style, you're you're getting it's mostly just through the the brine and the the boiling liquid, and so it's it's okay. it's a bit more of a cleaner flavor. Okay, okay, yeah. I I think both have their virtue. Absolutely, I'm I'm, I'm interested in both. Uh, well, I I just wanted you to come on and give us a quick hit uh, today. I since we didn't get to the pleasure of your company last week, um, very very much appreciated. Uh, input here. I'm glad we were able to name some names for the Hungry Homies here. A few installations uh, and attractions in various cities uh, across these these great United States Man, of ours. I, and you'll, you'll just come back on uh, and we're going to have to cook up an occasion here in 2018. You and I are going to have to do some 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 exploration together. Let's do it. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm actually really sad we didn't get to hit Toronto, which is one of my favorite cities. Well, I, I, I uh, <laughs> let let let's save it. You know, the playoffs are going to uh, continue on here. There, there is. Uh, we have a. I'm not rooting for Toronto in any way, shape, or form to beat my almost bullets. 
But, you know, that that could be a fate that my local hometown heroes encounter. It could be the case that Toronto wins. If the, if Toronto survi- survives this first round, Danny, come back on. We'll talk about, as the anticipation builds with Toronto, we'll talk about what might be in store for for all of our taste buds out there in terms of a Toronto eating experience. Let's, let's do that. Let's do it that way. That sounds like a plan. Let's do it. All right. My brother, much appreciated. Hungry homies, you got to get on the Instagram and check out Danny King Chow. I love his food pictures. It always makes me happy and hungry. Two of the two of my very favorite emotions and sentiments. Danny Chow, thanks for coming on, my boy. Always a pleasure. Thank you. All right, big thanks. To our hungry homie, Danny Chow, literally the sultan of spice. Before we jump over to food news, how about a quick word from our good friends at Sunbasket? Let me ask you, can healthy be delicious? With Sunbasket, the answer is yes. Forget protein shaking and flavorless diet food. Start cooking fresh, healthy meals at your own stove with delicious organic produce from Sunbasket. Sunbasket makes it easy and convenient to cook healthy, delicious meals at home, no matter how much experience you have in the kitchen. Just go to the Sunbasket app and pick from 18 weekly recipes like steaks with chimichurri and harissa roasted sweet potatoes. Oh, I also have to talk about this Moroccan chicken that I made, these these delicious chicken thighs with a Moroccan spice, uh, the delicate diced tomato t- uh, tomato paste, delicious garlic, a little onion I had to sneak in there while my wife wasn't looking. I'm telling you, they were wonderful. There are many options available. Paleo, gluten-free, lean and clean, vegan, Mediterranean family options, and more Sunbasket works with the best farms and suppliers to bring you fresh, organic produce and responsibly raised meats and seafood. The best part, Sun Basket is delivered in perfect portions with reliable nutrition information, and it's ready to whip up in about 30 minutes. That's all it takes, and I can attest, I love the portion control that Sun Basket offers. Now, uh, you know that I like to eat uh, quite a bit there, Hungry Homies, and I might add in some extra carbs to my meals by way of rice or pasta, but Sun Basket is giving the main courses of the meal and exactly the portions that you need. There's something for every healthy journey and lifestyle. Go to sunbasket.com slash carbs today to learn more and get $35 off your first order. That's sunbasket.com slash carbs for $35 off. Check out sunbasket.com slash carbs. And now let's get over to food news. All right, culinary comrades, we've been missing her. We've gone a couple weeks without Juliet Littman, a couple weeks without food news. Now it is time. Now it is time for food news. Juliet, where have you been? I mean, how are you doing? I'm always available. You know that house. It's more like, <laughs> where have you been? Yeah, this is a good point. This is a fair point. Uh, we were in Augusta, Georgia with the Podfather. We were eating all the sandwiches down there. We made it over to the Waffle House. And then 
Last week, Podfather came on and we started talking about these NBA cities and the good food available in all these great cities in the NBA playoffs. And the next thing you know, it's an hour and 20 minutes and, and you, you you can't stop the Podfather once he gets going. People are pissed at, or pissed at you, huh? Well, I, I mean, uh, we just, acknowledged just, up front. You just course like, correct it with Danny anyway. So it's fine. Yeah, we we were 16 cities. It's not like we've gone in and done a full food exploration. It, it, we're not uh, the ringer brought to you by Zagat, for God's sakes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we'll get there. We were just talking about the experiences we've had. He's had more experiences than I. And because of work, it's not like he can be super adventurous when he arrives in a city. Uh, so he just gave, you know, the rundown. But we, the, the Hungry Homies, to their credit, we got terrific feedback. I really feel like we can call it mission accomplished Whoa. after last week's podcast because— Okay, Donald I Trump. Now, we, <laughs> that's true. Well, this is the real mission accomplished. <laughs> we had a real mission, and we really accomplished it. Um we have probably 10 great restaurants in each of the cities that we spoke badly of um, to go try. So Okay, great. Right, exactly. Great. You know, we, we, we ranked Toronto very high. And I acknowledge in the conversation with Simmons that you and I have been pining for Toronto for, for a good six, seven, eight months now. Oh, yes. And all the feedback that we got on on Toronto, people are dying to have us come up there and eat. So we got to get to the T dot. We got right. to get to the T dot. I would love, absolutely love to go, and I really want to go like before October. I, w- I don't want to go when it's like darkness. Well, I can't. I just told Danny, you're not going to get me to root for for Toronto in this series. My almost bullets are are up against them. The almost bullets have just as much talent as as Toronto. I mean, I know y'all the North, but. At the moment, you know, I, I can't concede anything. If this plays out to form, if it turns out that the one seed conquers the eight seed and Toronto advances onward, I will acknowledge and, and concede maybe a little bit of interest. It could be the case that we might be getting up to the T dot in June. I mean, a lot of things have wow. to happen. A lot of wow. a lot of things could could go wrong. With that, but it's not inconceivable that you and I invite ourselves up to the T dot in in June in connection with an NBA Finals appearance. It's not out of the question. You say the word and I'm there. Two things I love, the NBA Finals and eating in Toronto. I'm pretty sure I'm going to love eating in Toronto. I don't know for sure, but I I think I will. I think think you will. I just want to say I'm rooting for the Raptors. Sorry. I just like DeLon Wright. I'm happy about him being a good player. It's, you know, that, that whole situation in Toronto with that in, entire uh, bench mob of what seemed to be high character, interesting story, enormous diversity. Yeah. But lots of diversity amongst that group. Yes. And they go just go out and kick ass. I mean, really, that's going to be the factor that distinguishes them. Uh, that will be the thing that gets them over the top of my almost bullets. <laughs> Well, if it happens, good I'm luck not to conceding us. it. Let's good luck yeah. to us. You know, let's hope right. for a trip. To We're Toronto. rooting for our bellies as always. I am absolutely. In the meantime, let me give you some food news. Yeah, let's talk. Are you ready? Always. Okay. The first one. This is a story from the state of Oregon, my neighbor to the north. Um, <laughs> the headline is a Medford Medford breaks Guinness World Record with the largest cinnamon roll 
at 1,149 pounds. Harry and David's Wolferman staff set out to break a Guinness World Record Tuesday, April 10th, 2018, also known as National Cinnamon Roll Day. I didn't know, and I wish I had it because I love a cinnamon roll. I love a sticky bun, too. Nearly 100 staff members were involved in the coordination efforts, 13 directly involved in the cooking process. The previous record set in 2013 in Michigan was 609 pounds, and Medford shattered that goal with 1,149 pounds. A Guinness World Record judge awarded the staff with a plaque, but there is still one final step to be admitted into the Book of World Records. All 1,149 pounds of cinnamon roll must be completely consumed. Harry and David will be having a three to five o- three to five ounces of the cinnamon roll at the Pear Affair Saturday on April 14th, and all donations will go to charity. Okay. So um, in the first place, when I saw Medford, I thought Medford, Massachusetts, because <laughs> no offense to my great Brethren in New England, this has a very New England kind of feel to it. it this really has does. a New England vibe. The cinnamon, the cinnamon roll. I mean, it's a pastry that really fits that New England profile. It really, it really does. It also just seemed like the kind of thing they're like, oh, it's kind of cold. Let's stay inside. But you know, it's also kind of cold in Oregon right now. I guess. That's I'm, right. I'm, I'm on the Wolferman's website. Their cinnamon rolls look really good. Like just let's delicious. order some. Yeah, let's order them. Let's and let's have some. They're they're standing in front of this um, on the website. They're standing in front of like a giant like vat that they have the dough in, and it's mm. so large and looks so absurd that it looks it looks photoshopped. But I don't think it was. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I wonder about uh, they they prepared this wonderful behemoth on the tenth, and they're giving it away on the fourteenth. How do you does it naturally? preserve itself because of all the sugar and the ingredients (laughs) in it like i don't like normally if i get a cinnabon i want it hot i want it right out of you know the warming element i want the sugar to be slightly melty i want it squishy in my hands i want to make a mess how can you recreate that if it's been sitting around for a couple days that's a great question they are dealing with it by selling a five pounder that is fifty dollars. First of all, <laughs> yes, oh it costs fifty dollars, oh and God. it's inspired by the world record breaking cinnamon roll, even though it's not the same. So I think that they probably I, I don't I don't know who's eating all of this. This is like on the challenge when you 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 don't get to win the eating competition until you've eaten all of it. I I don't know. I would do it for the re- I like to be a part of history. Like I like to watch like big events cuz I like to like know where it was when something big happened. And so I would do it a few days later just to say I was a part of this. It seems like a real community event. Okay. That 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 I get get along with. You have a nibble to confirm your uh, community spirit to to um, get into the whole ethos of this uh, cinnamon cinnamon roll record. I just have to stop you. This five pound thing. Do you do you? It's not a slice off of the giant one. No, it's its own monster. Its own. Fi- you so you order the five pounder and they send it to you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's a cinnamon roll. It comes with a frosting packet, which is twelve ounces, and uh, that doesn't yeah. sound like enough ounces for a five pounder. You know, I am looking at this photo, and I would go heavier on the frosting. I would, I would try to add some extra frosting if I could. But you know what would also be really good? Where are you at on like the Betty Crocker frosting in in the can that you have like on top of a cake that you can just like pop in the fridge? You know, it's nostalgic, and so I have a warm spot for it. I'm not against it. I, in fact, I just flat out support it. I kind of, I've been known to stick a finger 
I mean, who among I, us has not stuck a finger? I love I'm not going to say stuck a finger in Betty Crocker because of how <laughs> rude that is. But you know exactly what I'm saying. Sure. You, you got it. Julia. In college, my roommates and I, that was a staple of our refrigerator. And like we definitely had too much frosting. I still love it. And I just think it'd be great on a sticky bun. I don't know why we never did that in college. It seems like something that would have been right up our alley. I, I mean, exactly. I said I'm in rural. I really regret it. Anyway, it's congratulations. It's too much work yeah. other than like a poppin' fresh version, right? Well, I do love the kind that like are cut from the, the roll that like are in the yeah. can that are also in the fridge. I love a, a love a, a fridge biscuit. Just adore it. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> this is a tradition. <laughs> who doesn't love a fridge biscuit? And who hasn't stuck a finger? Who hasn't? Okay, house, next story. This is from Food and Wine. Oh, and the previous story was from local news in Medford, Oregon, KTVL. God bless them. Yeah. Thanks to them. Yeah. Moving on, a story from, from uh, Food and Wine magazine. Bud Light Orange is Build, building buzz after being spotted on store shelves. Interest in Bud Light Orange, essentially an orangey twist on Bud Light Lime, began to grow, despite the fact that the brand itself has been surprisingly quiet about the new product. Bud Light Orange hasn't come completely out of the blue. Back in December, news broke on some beer-centric sites that Anheuser-Busch, which owns Bud Light, had gotten approval for an update of Bud Light Lime's label, as well as the label for a new product called Bud Light Orange, with a rumored April 2018 release date. Interestingly enough, further confirmation of the new beer landed on none other than the blog of rival brand Miller Coors in January. Wary, aghast. But outside of that, chatter about the new orange brew remained relatively quiet until someone reported spotting it on store shelves at the end of March to the Impulsive Buy, a site that specifically keeps a lookout for new products of note. According to Beer Menus, which follows which beers are being sold at bars and restaurants, interest in Bud Light Orange suddenly exploded with the elusive new product seeing its views increase tenfold. And indeed, Beer Menus confirms the new take on Bud Light is on about three dozen of its menus so far. Meanwhile, the beer has already racked up nearly 2,000 check-ins on the beer rating app Untapped. I believe my colleague Riley McAtee uses that one. And here's the kicker. Bud Light has even already posted the beer on its Bud Light website. Introducing an all-new flavor just in time for summer. Bud Light Orange, America's favorite light lager now brewed with real orange peels. You can taste citrusy goodness. Available for a limited time only this summer. What yeah. do you think, House? Yeah, so I'm the wrong dude to ask. And you, this, this reminds me that we are going to start getting some, some uh, alcohol palettes on this podcast. Uh, you've got vodka on lock, so I don't, we don't need any vodka experts. I think we're going to start having some beer connoisseurs. We need to talk to, to, the, the, to the thirsty homies out there who can you know, help us out with understanding context and a little bit of background, a little bit of history. I, my own self, have come to appreciate and enjoy a wheat beer with an orange as the accompaniment. And they're, you know, the Hefeweizen variety, right? Oh, yeah. I like that, uh, too. That was, uh, yeah, I like that, too. It comes like, like a nice moon. tall glass. Right, exactly. I am very skeptical, highly skeptical of of the orange ingredient in, in the beer. I, well, it just House, has you better no try it to then. You be, I, I'm going to go the other way. I'm positive. Because I like the, agree with you, like a Hefeweizen with an orange peel. I like a blue moon with an orange in it. I'm excited yeah. about this. I want to try it. I, I'll, I'll try it. But um, if the bar is Bud Light Lime, I, I'm, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't think 
it's a it's it's going to work with me. I've never had Bud Light lime, but I hate lime in my beverages. Like just absolutely not. No lime. No thank you. Even vodka. Sorry, even, even, that's, that's true. Even of course. gin. You no. Know. Of course, in in the vo- vodka so in a Juliet, uh, lime is encouraged. But like, <laughs> right, right. But yeah. in all in like a club soda, I, had, I club soda is my default drink. I never want a lime in my club soda. Absolutely ever. Never. It's interesting. Never. You draw the line between you would have it with vodka but not with club soda. Well, it's because I mean, there's more of a like a chemistry there, you know? Like Yeah, it, I'm and, with you. And club soda is like all by the bubbles. I don't need any flavoring. I don't ever okay. have flavored flavored uh, sparkling water. Never. Hard pass. Yeah. Well, this is that's kind of my attitude when it comes to beer. I I'm not like I like that the ingredients of of beer um, and, you know, you can accentuate this one with the IPA profile and the hops and that, you know, again, we need we need a, a genuine beer kind of sort of come on and walk us through the proper kind of flavor profile. But I just don't like this infused idea when it comes to beer. OK, we're going to do a taste test and we'll, we'll, we'll follow up. Okay, that's fun. Let's get each get a sixer yes, and drink it during absolutely. the course of a let's have a half hour food news and we'll drink cool. six beers during it. I I have a I have a proposal for you, uh, Joe House. Can we Hit do a me. can we do a special food news episode, like an hour of food news? Oh, I mean, we and we really ought to be doing some testing. Like, yeah, it needs to be a proper taste test. The answer is yes. We're doing an hour long food news, and let's ask the culinary comrades out there. Give us some suggestions of what you'd like us to test. We'll we'll test the Fuck beers. Yeah. For sure. That's yeah. one thing. And if we're doing an hour, so that's six beers in an hour. That's easy. Oh, sure. Uh, I cannot maybe do that, we, we sure. don't have to drink. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> but what should we eat? What should we te- test? I mean, tacos seem like, but mm. we, we've, we've kind of exhausted the taco thing, maybe. But well, let's, let's just hear what yeah, the taste buds have Yeah, with suggestions. Say. In the meantime, yeah. one last story for you. And this one caused a lot of uproar. Heinz, you know, as in Teresa Heinz. Oh, as I know the story. Teresa it's Heinz, Carrie. Heinz Ketchup tweeted, want hashtag Mayochup, M-A-Y-O-C-H-U-P, in stores? 500,000 votes for yes, and we'll release it to you saucy Americans. There was a poll, and it also had a bottle that's like, looks like the upside-down ketchup that is common, that kind of like that sleek bottle that was introduced like 10, 15 years ago. Um, it's plastic, and it's like a weird cream color, and it's called Delicious Mayo Chup, and it shows mayo and ketchup meeting on the label. And it got the it got it got fifty five it got nine hundred thirty thousand votes total, fifty five percent of which were a yes on that. And so I suppose they will be bringing this to stores. And many people were angry. House, were you angry? Well, I also I just want to say they also added mayo chip is that hybrid condiment you never knew you wanted, and um, this beige colored condiment isn't a prank. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of headlines about this, and there's just a glaring um, oversight here. It feels like it. This is one of those classic examples that I see we we feel like we're bumping into here. And, and it's, uh, you know, a, a natural uh, kind of phenomena that goes with the, the democratization of of our food palate here in the U.S. and the, the whole rise of, you know, social media delivering, um, you know, food from different cultures uh, and alerting us to how other folks have been eating for hundreds of years. And this phenomenon I'm talking about is like this appropriation by kind of big food purveyors here in the U.S. and and creating this idea that uh, they're innovating 
with something that has already been around for a very long time and is delicious, delivered with a whole variety of foods, uh, Caribbean food I'm thinking of. I've had this uh, uh, mayo ketchup combination with Belgian frites. It's mother effing delicious. I used to have it at uh, home growing up all the time. Like we would like put right. it on salad. Like it was like it yes. was like a like a, a, a poor man's Russian dressing basically. So uh, like from from South American cultures, from Puerto Rican culture, from Belgian culture, and this idea that there is, hey, we're gonna deliver this to you, Heinz like the the self congratulation, patting itself on the back. We did it. We uh, figured it out. A new condiment, right? And and not only that, but like the it's not funny to 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 use that name. The name is is brutally bad. It doesn't it doesn't no. add any charm. It's hard Just to say. M- mayo chup, and then oh, we'll make it a contest to properly name it. Yeah, it's really F off. Every everything yeah, I, about this execution was wrong. There we go. Thank you for 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 that very concise way of describing this. I'm having a hard time getting it out because I know because you're I'm, so angry. It pisses me off a little bit. Yeah, that's right. I hear you. Yeah, that's all yeah. I got for you today, House. Let's um, go. We're ending. Do angry. better, Heinz. Just do better. That's yeah. all. If you want to, uh, you know, innovate, then then layer in some some genuine U.S. ingredients that take this. And 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 reflavor it, give it a different flavor profile, so you're not just blatantly stealing it from from other cultures that have already gotten this done properly and correctly. That's all. That's all I ask. Simple ask from a simple man, Joe House. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> thanks, Juliet. <laughs> Thank you. I'll be back whenever you whenever you want me. I'm available. I can't wait. This hour long food news is going to be bonkers, Let's and it's it not person. just because we're drinking. Yeah, that we have to do it in person. I'm yeah. I'm so overdue for a trip to L.A. Okay, Bill great. Simmons keeps sending me pictures of him eating at Major Domo. Oh my God, you better invite me when you go. Okay. All right, that's it. That's that's <laughs> it. we're gonna we're going to Major Domo and we're drinking six orange beers, Bud Lights. <laughs> See you then. Bye. <laughs> Talk to you. Bye. All right, my taste buds. There we go. Another episode in the books. I hope everybody enjoyed these past two episodes. We had a lot of fun doing them, talking about all of these cities and the culinary offerings. We will be revisiting this uh, topic periodically as the playoffs progress and we start to see some final contenders come into view so that we can start planning our delicious itinerary, our, our eating adventure in the finals cities. Big shout out to all you hungry homies out there that hit us with wonderful suggestions in your town of places that we ought to try, things that we've missed, uh, places that we've overlooked, especially towns like Cleveland and Indianapolis and Milwaukee and San Antonio, who didn't fare very well in the rankings that we did with Bill Simmons. We got some great input from all you taste buds out there. So thank you very much. We will be compiling all of the great places and the great suggestions everybody uh, laid at our feet. And we're going to be throwing them together and we'll put them up on the, the landing page at House of Carbs here as, as the, the playoffs progress so that everybody, when, you, when you're going around and wanting to know oh, what's, what's the House of Carbs endorsed uh, venue, we will just point you right to the website. Next week, another outstanding show. I am not at liberty to discuss the guests, but I do think we're going to be talking about bourbon.
I hope you're excited. Hungry homies, as always, let's stay hungry out there. 